What is it that you're doing to put yourself first on your to-do list? How do you work out what you're going to do each day and how you're going to allocate your time and how you're going to make sure you have enough energy? And what does that look like? And do you have a good understanding of what your core priorities are? That's Mel Kettle, Leadership Communication Specialist, and this is WNA Trailblazers. WNA Women's Network Australia. Trailblazers. Amplifying the voices of women in business. Hosted by Women's Network Australia CEO Cheryl Gray and me, Louise Poole, podcast producer and managing partner of Welcome Change Media, official media partner for Women's Network Australia. We've all been there. Even you're pretending right now that you're not. It starts with a niggle that we ignore and then it gets stronger. And rather than attend to it, we push it to the back of our mind because we're just too busy right now. But then that niggle that turned into a poke is now punching us quite hard and it's impossible to ignore. But what if we'd just paid attention before it got this strong? Trailblazer Mel Kettle is a leadership communication specialist. And if there's one thing she's good at, it's acting early. And she's Cheryl's guest today on WNA Trailblazers. So Cheryl, self-care this episode, I think that's where we're going with this, particularly in business. What does your self-care routine look like at the moment? I'm not sure I will get a pass mark to be perfectly frank. However, I do have a few little tools that I use and they're not they're not particularly clever, but I do always carve out the first hour of my day in my diary to just sit and think and write copious amounts of lists that hopefully give me some guidance throughout my business day. I also try to block out time for lunch. Can't guarantee that I actually eat the actual <laughs> lunch day, but it is a good time just to create a break in your schedule. I think for me, that's a really important part of self-care because I, you know, I can find days where I literally sit at the computer and finish up when it's dark and mm. that's not good for your body. It's certainly not good for your mind either. So yeah, look, I, I really enjoy the fact that Mel has prioritised not only her own self-care but sharing that message with others because there's so much that we we can do better and I think too we can't beat ourselves up about the fact that we're not all you know meditating and doing yoga first up in the morning we can aspire to find some tips and techniques that work for us but you know we're all different and we've got to work within the time that we've got. I think you're going to get a couple of pass marks from Mel on at least setting that time aside in the morning I'm however going to get a fail because I've walked straight from my bedroom in my pajamas down to the studio here and start work. So, But, you know, I think that's one of the real challenges though, Louise, because so many people post-COVID even mm. and certainly during COVID found themselves and at first probably maybe enjoying it, maybe they still do, but found themselves working within the confines of their own home. That has really changed up a lot of people's daily routines and hopefully they've still managed to build in some self-care in there. But I think for a lot of us, it's we've gone, oh, that's one less hour of travel I need to do. So mm. I'm much more productive. And yeah, that's that's fantastic. It's certainly fantastic for people you're being productive for, but equally, are we actually prioritising our self-care in there? And if we don't do it, who's going to do it for us? Well, Mel's going to teach us, that's for sure. What's her background? So Mel has written a couple of books. She's actually written another book called The Social Association, and it was all about how particularly membership organisations, not-for-profits and so forth, should be using social media to promote 
promote their organisation. So she comes from very much a comms background. She's worked in consulting. She herself has has found herself burning a candle, worked for some big corporates in her time and really obviously seen the impact of long hours, lack of sleep and also, dare I say, ageing that happens to all of us. (laughs) No, don't say it's true. I'm sorry, it's true. Well, let's jump into your chat with Mel now about how self-care became a major part of fully connected leadership for her. Well, my background is quite varied. I started my professional world, my professional life running events in Sydney for a small event management company. We ran conferences primarily for associations and not and member-based organizations, but it was long hours. We did a lot of events. We were a small team. All of our clients had volunteer organizing committees and volunteer boards. And so we did a lot of committee meetings after hours. So while I learned a lot and I absolutely loved my job and I loved the people I worked with, I stayed there for three years and I was a bit, you know, on the cusp of exhaustion and had planned to do a year traveling around Mexico, learning Spanish, decided to move to Mexico. And just as I was about to buy my plane ticket, I was offered a job for a global marketing agency running all the events for Microsoft in Australia. And the money was great compared to the money that I'd been on. And my ego went, so I said yes to the job. And within about a week of starting the job, thought, what the hell did I do that for? I think I've made a big mistake, but didn't realize that I could say no. I didn't realize that I could quit this job after a week and go to Mexico because, you know, my ego was still on cloud nine because I'd been headhunted for this job. And I knew a few of the people who I won this job over and they were luminaries in the industry. And so in hindsight, I suspect they just laughed at the terms and conditions and the pay, Uh, but I was 28 and didn't really know any better. Unsurprisingly, We ran 300 events in a year with a team of six. And by the end of that year, actually not even by the end of the year, by about October of that year, I was a quivering wreck in the corner most nights when I got home from work. I was exhausted. I was not sleeping. I was working an average of probably 75 hours a week. I traveled a lot and didn't get a lot of sleep in hotels. Unsurprisingly, I got to the end of the year and just collapsed in a screaming heap. Had a really great holiday at Christmas. First day back in the office, my boss said to me, how was your break? And my first words were, I quit. And he said, what? And I said, oh, (laughs) didn't actually know I was going to say that, but I did. So, okay, I quit. That was one reason why I'm so passionate about self-leadership. The other reason is because when I was in my early 40s, my parents both died really unexpectedly. And it just made me realize that life is really short. And if you don't do things you love, then what's the point? And so I made a few decisions that really helped me get a better sense of who I was, what was important to me, what I valued and what my priorities in life were. Since then, I've just tried really hard to live a life that I love and that I choose as much as possible. And that's, you know, one reason why I started my own business in 2006 was so I could have some more flexibility around how I spent my time and who I worked with. You know, in my case, as a young girl, I needed to kind of step up when my parents divorced when I was very young. So it was all about caring for the family unit or what what was left of the family unit. And then it was always about making sure that those around you were 
looked after and supported and therefore there's no time left is probably an excuse. The reality is it just has never really been a priority for me. Yeah, I hear that a lot. The good old excuse of busy. Yeah, busy is the enemy of self-care. It's so easy to get trapped in that hamster wheel of busy. One of the things that I think is really important to think about is what happens when your cup runs dry? How are you capable then of looking after others and the people who you love when you don't have any energy or time or energy for yourself? The other thing that I think we need to think about today is increasing loneliness. What I find really interesting is that loneliness has been pervasive in our society for a long time, but nobody talks about it. One of the things that we need to remember when it comes to loneliness is that it's not just older people who live alone who struggle with this, it's younger people as well. And when we have loneliness at work and loneliness at home and loneliness in society, we have increased social isolation. And one of the side effects of social isolation is increased anxiety leading to depression. When we feel lonely, that impacts our ability to think, our ability to take action, our ability to make decisions, our ability to sleep and our ability to properly look after ourselves. And so I don't think there's enough being said in most communities about the impact that loneliness has or even an acknowledgement that there are people who are lonely. And so the fact that you know, you've got this amazing network, Cheryl, is hopefully providing an opportunity for people to have conversations about things that challenge them that ease that loneliness. Really interesting that you say that because I know I had conversations with a number of our, you know, really senior leaders, uh, sort of CEOs of of ASX listed companies and the like. And I, I was always curious, you know, why did you join Women's Network Australia? I mean, you're so you're at the top of your career, you've done such amazing things, you know so much. Like, why are you part of this network? And a number of them cited the fact that they spend all of their time either talking with work colleagues or family. And they've lost contact with a social network. So mm-hmm. for them, WNA plays an opportunity to give back to others, yep. but also an opportunity to connect and yeah, deal with those those feelings of loneliness and, and isolation. Absolutely. The other reason I think so many of us, particularly women, don't prioritise ourselves is we don't think we're worthy. We struggle with imposter syndrome and we look at particularly, you know, with things on Instagram and some days I think Instagram should just shut down for a week and how much better would our lives be on so many levels. But we just don't feel worthy and we have comparisonitis to people who we believe are living far better lives than we are when at the end of the day, most of them probably have the same issues and worries and concerns that you have. That sort of treatment that we give ourselves or the guilt that goes with, okay, I'm going to do something for myself, you know, I'm going to treat myself to some self-care and then feeling bad about it afterwards because (laughs) I should have been doing this or I should have been doing something else. So, in other words, the benefit of the self-care is almost undone by the guilt that comes after. Absolutely. And the expression guilty pleasure, every time someone says on social media, what's your guilty pleasure? I just have this haze of red that flashes across my eyes because why should pleasure be guilty? Why should you feel guilty for doing something that gives you pleasure? Seriously. You're so right, Cheryl. We need to just be focusing on, we need to be thinking about what is it that we can be doing that lights us up. Is there a way to attach benefit to it, Mel? Is it about looking at self-care and equating a real benefit rather than sort of just doing it and go, that was nice, but now I feel terrible because. absolutely. Because there's tons of benefits. We need to remember that it's okay to not be okay. And we can't be on all the time. 
it's like our phones can't be on all the time. We have to plug them in to charge them. And so we need to be plugging our bodies and our brains and our souls and our minds in to recharge those every day as well. What is it that you're doing to put yourself first on your to-do list? How do you work out what you're going to do each day and how you're going to allocate your time and how you're going to make sure you have enough energy? Do you have exercise on your calendar? Do you have eating lunch every day as a plan to do? Think about how do you put yourself first and what does that look like? And do you have a good understanding of what your core priorities are? That's a really challenging question because for me, I know that it's family, but it's very easy to... So when I do my to-do list in the morning, there's nothing in there about family or myself. It's all about work. So even though the answer to the question is what do I value most and what are my priorities, well, they are my family. Mm. But that almost is a different compartment in my brain that doesn't seem to have a to-do list. It's just Mm. a constant hovering cloud, I suppose. So maybe it's about actually thinking about those priorities in the same way or at least on an equivalent way as things like work priorities. I've got a colleague who puts everything in his diary and he colour codes it all. So he colour codes, you know, client work, deep work, family time, exercise time, personal time. And if you look at his calendar, it's got something for every minute of the day from when he gets up until when he goes to bed. And included in that are big blocks of time for family time. And, you know, one of his priorities, he's got three boys, and one of his priorities, particularly when the boys were younger, was that they had dinner as a family every night. And there were no exceptions. So, Cheryl, you mentioned before there's got to be some benefits to putting ourselves first, and there are. What do we think they might be? There's obviously mental health benefits. You know, we obviously can be happier, more relaxed, less stressed by putting some time into ourselves. And then there's obviously physical benefits that come with that. And perhaps we'll have nice nails and hair as well because we might actually do something like that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's all of those things. I guess it's about what you value as, as to where those benefits lie and how important they are for you and how potentially long-lasting can be. You know, going off having a massage, fantastic, but half an hour later thinking, well, that was two hours of my life I've now lost and can't get back. Oh, gee, how am I going to deal with that? So what are the benefits beyond the immediate gratification? Yeah, I think some of the benefits when we put ourselves first, we talked about being happier and healthier, but we're also more human. And I think what I mean by that is that when we're more human, we're more willing to be vulnerable and we're more willing to show up with authenticity and with empathy because it's really hard to demonstrate empathy in particular for other people when you're exhausted or when you're not sleeping properly or when you're not feeling at your best. The other thing that is such a huge benefit of putting ourselves first and feeling good about ourselves, both physically and mentally, is that when we have challenges that come in our path, we're much more prepared to deal with them. Self-care leads to resilience because when you feel good about yourself, you're much more resilient to things that you know might fall outside of your preferred <laughs> way of life, whatever that might be. From a work perspective, when we put ourselves first, we energize our co-workers because we bring a much more positive energy into the workplace. And whether you're working for yourself or in a team or for the clients that you have, when you feel good about yourself, you're much more positive. It's just normal. 
We also communicate with conviction when we look after ourselves. And by that, I mean we communicate more with heart and we think before we speak and act more willingly. And we do that because we're not on that hamster wheel, rushing, 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 trying to get everything done. So we create a bit of space for thinking and for strategy and for planning. And when we communicate with conviction, we're much more likely to create change and we're much more likely to influence people to do things for us in the way that we want them to do them. And whether that's, you know, your staff or your clients or your kids, it's far easier. Like I remember when I was, um, I've got a stepson and when he was a, a young child and a teenager, he would be far more likely to do everything I asked if I asked him in a firm and rational way as opposed to shrieking or screaming at him because I was exhausted and he wasn't doing what I wanted the first time I asked. So, the benefits are huge. And then the final benefit or one of the final benefits is that we create a culture of belonging. And for those of you who, and whether this is in our family or whether this is in our workplace, when people feel like they belong, they are less likely to feel lonely. They're less likely to feel isolated. They're more likely to be focused on their work and productive. Organizations that have cultures of belonging have greater focus and productivity They have more profit. They have fewer accidents and injuries in the workplace. They have far less absenteeism because people aren't taking sickies because they don't like where they work. So the benefits of putting ourselves first as leaders are huge. However, before we can thrive, we do need to get out of that survival mode. And I know there's a lot of people who are feeling like they're either surviving or stuck. When you're surviving, you're just going through the motions and you're quite overwhelmed with life and you don't really know how to cope with anything that's not within your little narrow window of what you feel that you have control over, which isn't very much. When you're stuck, you're going in circles. You're unhappy, you're unsure about things, and you're unfocused. When you're achieving, you're getting noticed and you're doing things, but achieving is often code for busy. And when you're busy, you're not looking after yourself. You're just doing everything that needs to be done. And you know, you're you're not quite operating on rote, but you're not focusing on your own priorities. Achieving is often doing things based on other people's timelines. So it might be saying yes to meetings that you don't really want to go to or doing work with people who don't, you know, that you don't really want to do or committing to family commitments that you'd rather say no to because you have this sense of obligation to be saying yes to everything. Well, it certainly resonates with me, not in a particularly good way, I'd have to say. Um. (laughs) That is just such a common response. I can count on one hand the number of people who think they're thriving at the moment because life is hard right now for a lot of people. And so if you are stuck in in stuck mode or in survival mode or on that hamster wheel of achieving, there's ways out. (laughs) And I certainly know when I was in survival mode, the few times in my life that I have been, I certainly didn't believe there was a way out. I just thought that I had to endure this forever and really, really grateful that I had an excellent doctor. I went to see him one day because I was having chest pains multiple times a day. And he said to me, just going to take your blood pressure. And so he did. And he said to me, oh, I actually don't know how you're walking around because it's so high. I've never seen a blood pressure this high on somebody your age. And he said to me, if you don't make some major changes, you'll probably have a stroke before you turn 30. And I was 29 and turning 30 about three months later. And so it really made me think, what do I need to do? And he said, in a perfect world, you will go into your job today and resign and do something else. But 
you know, we don't live in a perfect world and that, as far as I was aware, wasn't an option. Fortunately, it became an option a few months later when I blurted it out to my boss. But, you know, so often when we're in survival mode, we just think there's no way out. I know I was really deeply unhappy. Um, he also diagnosed me with depression in this conversation. And I think that shocked me even more than being told I had really high blood pressure and was on the edge of having a stroke because I didn't realise that somebody like me could be diagnosed with depression. Mel, can I jump in there? Because it, it always concerns me, I suppose, that it takes a sort of a jolt like that, yep. a health diagnosis or some other tragedy yep. to make us stop and yep. really reconsider. And in your case, fortunately, oh. it was a, a positive outcome. But, Absolutely. you know, we, we hear cases of people where that doesn't happen. Mm. But how, mm. why do we always leave it till we have that jolt? Yeah, I don't know. And in the book, I talk about the analogy of the feather, the brick in the truck. And the feather are those, you know, light symptoms or light signs that tickle you that something might not quite be right. And so, in this instance, for me, there were so many feathers. The feathers were things like I was drinking four, five, six cups of coffee a day. These days, if I have two coffees a day, my gut goes into spasms. I was getting home from work. I was working 12 hours a day. I was getting home from work, calling the local takeaway as I left my office, picking it up on the way home, eating takeaway, getting home at eight o'clock at night, drinking a bottle of wine, going to bed at about midnight after I'd done a couple of more hours work at home, getting up at 5.30 to beat the traffic into the office and then doing it again. And, you know, the chest pains were a feather. The high blood pressure was a feather. My doctor telling me if I didn't make some drastic changes, that was the brick. And I'm just really grateful that I listened because the truck would have been having a stroke or worse. And like I look at um, friends of mine, one of my friends had all these feathers and a couple of bricks raining down on her and she didn't listen and she had a heart attack at 52. And now really grateful that she's alive still and it's given her the wake up call that she needed, but she could be dead. She had a heart attack called a SCAD, and I can't remember what SCAD stands for, but it's a really common heart attack in women who go through an immense period of short-term pressure. And at the time that she had it, there was a lot of pressure in her world, a lot of family things that were just blowing up, work pressure, some financial pressure. She was doing a renovation on her house with her husband and that was causing pressure. And so when the doctor heard about all these things in her world, he was not surprised. But it's a heart attack that people don't talk about. And I think one of the reasons it's not talked about is because there's not a lot known about it and it's mostly women that have it. And so it's recognizing what your feathers are. So it might be you're working really long hours. It might be that you're not sleeping. It might be that you've gone from having some really good habits like regular exercise, eating lots of fruit and veggies, not having too much caffeine or alcohol to changing those. Or it might be that you're suddenly really cranky or that you're crying all the time and you don't know why. Or it might be shifting mood swings. And so the more you can understand your body and your mind and how you function, the more you'll be able to recognize when things change. And if they're constantly changing, then maybe it's time to stick your hand up and ask for help. And sticking your hand up and asking for help is one of the best ways to start gaining control back. Becoming self-aware, though, is something that's hard to do. How do we create time and space for reflection? Self-aware people are very conscious of what they have control over and what they don't. 
We have control over what time we go to bed. We have control over what time we get up. We have control over the Netflix button on the TV. We have control over the food we eat, how much alcohol we drink, when we go to exercise and how much we exercise. We have control over the people we spend time with. We have control over the questions we ask and what we choose to listen to. What we don't have control over are how other people think or feel about us. We don't have control over time. We don't have control over the weather. We don't have control over death and some illnesses. Self-aware people are very conscious of creating a life that focuses on the things that they have control over for their own lives. Yeah, I think it's a very individual thing, isn't it? Mm, It is. It is. A lot of people think about self-care in terms of massages and champagne, and but self-care is a lot more than that. And one of the things that I really believe in when it comes to self-care is having boundaries. So think about all the things that you say yes to where you really might want to be saying no. And then think about why did you say yes when you would rather say no. And sometimes you feel like you say yes to things simply because you they're not in your control when really they are. Yeah. But but you kind of feel like you have to do it. Obligation to others is probably a really big driver. Yeah. But yeah, that that sense of oh well it's just part of what has to happen without running a filter over it, I suppose. I think a lot of the time as well, we say no to things because we don't believe we're good enough. So I think we need to flip sometimes what we say yes to and what we say no to. It's a good point, Mel. It's a very good point. Sometimes we say no to something, even though we want it, we might want it, we might want to do it, we might aspire to do it, but we doubt our capabilities or ability at this point in time, or we're being held back by those other things we said yes to and haven't offloaded. So yes, I'd love to do that, but I can't because I'm doing this, even though I don't really want to do that and I can't find a way out. And I think that If my first instinct is to say no to this opportunity, why is that? Is it because I genuinely don't want to, don't have capacity, I'm not interested, or is it because I don't think I'm good enough? And if it's because I don't think I'm good enough, let's ask a few questions and, you know, think about why I might think that when the other person believes that I am. And one of the things that I really believe about self-care is when we look after ourselves, the self-doubt is less. And so self-care for me is being conscious of who you are, what you are, and what your health is like. So if you haven't been to a doctor for a while, make an appointment. When this is finished, get on the phone and make an appointment to just get the basics checked out, to get your bloods checked out, to get your blood pressure checked out. If you're a woman who is in their 40s, and I suspect that most of us are, 40s or 50s, and you're not sure where you're at with menopause, get that checked out. Get a heart health check. They're free. They need to be booked, but they're free. And it will just give you a sense of how's your heart functioning. The other thing when it comes to prioritizing self-care is we need to make sure we get the basics right. And the basics are things like food, sleep, and exercise. What are you eating? When are you eating it? Are you eating enough vegetables or are you living on a diet of fast food and cereal? What do your sleep habits look like? Do you only get four or five or six hours of sleep like most Australians do? Or are you getting the seven to eight hours that most of our bodies need? Have a think about what's one thing that you could do starting today or starting tomorrow to make you a more fully connected leader. Will it be something to do with self-care? Will it be something to do with finding space, doing a mindfulness activity, creating a plan to take more action or creating a plan to take less action? Think about one thing and commit to it. 
Look, it's been such a terrific session. It's incredible, isn't it? You know, we do tend to get caught up in the busyness of life, giving up the time to do it because that's the first step, isn't it? Actually just going and saying, I want to just dedicate this little bit of time to remind myself what's important to me, what I value, and where am I not quite hitting the mark and what can I do about it? So that's that's a really important part. Thanks, Mel. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Cheryl. Another of our guests, wonderful guests, Cheryl, but still another one calling out our bad behaviour, our bad habits with the self-care and the lack of it. Louise, if you and I were perfect, we'd have nothing to talk about. So we should be happy. One of the things that Mel said, though, that like really struck a chord with me is when she's talking about women not paying attention to their own health. Mm. And she's telling that story about her friend that had the heart attack and, you know, she could go ha- have pain in her chest and do nothing about it. And it actually reminds me a couple of years ago, back when I was working in a job that was very stressful before I started my own business. Um, I had chest pains for three days and I, I before oh, wow. I went to the hospital and said, hey, am I having a heart attack? Like I ignored it and thought it was going to go away and it, it, it didn't go away. Um, thankfully, like they tested and did all that stuff and it, it was just anxiety related. But I really think that we internalise a lot that we have to just keep pushing through that kind of stuff. It's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. The analogy that Mel used about the feather, the brick and the truck, you know, mm. you, you really want to to pick up on the feather because the truck and the brick can be incredibly painful if not you know life ending and yeah that those examples thanks for sharing that because they're exactly the signals that we need to be picking up on but even before those signals become you know physically evident mm. we do need to be thinking about you know how our bodies are feeling how our mind is feeling and the impact of you know even if we think I don't I don't get stressed you know I don't respond to stress the way other people do the reality is that we all have a degree of stress in our lives and if we let it get on top of us not only do we have those physical impacts and yours was an example of that but it also does impact the way we perform in our work and in our daily lives so we're really helping nobody at the end of the day you know we try to push through but we're really not helping what did you get from that talk with mel after that conversation with her wrapped what kind of stuck the next couple you know of days i did i booked in for my medic check oh good and I'm not going to tell you how long it's been since I've been to a doctor, but mm. let's just say it's more than the recommended time frame. So, yeah, I did actually take that message quite seriously. Yeah, I'm booked in in a week's time to go and have all my pokes and prods. Hopefully nothing will be found, but that's the type of thing that we need to start thinking about doing on a regular basis. I love that her message about self-care is actually grounded in physical steps that we can take too, because it is an emotional thing, but it's also, you know, I had no idea how stressed affects the body until the last five years or so. Mm. These stresses have physical, medical manifestations. So I think booking in is a brilliant first step. I think it's that enough. deserves a bit of an elephant stamp, don't you? I think, I think I th- that's a pretty was, good first step. I feel like it deserves a round of applause, but it's just me. It's just... <laughs> And it doesn't sound quite right. Maybe I can edit in a sound effect after. <laughs> no, but look, it, it, look, it really is important. And, and would I have done it if I hadn't have been speaking to Mel? Well, probably not. It's mm. been on my list for a long time. And it's one of those things that inevitably, when your life gets busy, goes to the bottom of the list when it really should be at top. So thank you, Mel, for getting me in to see my GP. So seeing Mel has been so helpful in reminding us to look after ourselves. How can everyone else connect with Mel as well? Well, because Mel is so amazing on social media, you will certainly find her 
on all the social media platforms. But the best place to find out more about Mel and her new book is melkettle.com. That's M-E-L-K-E-T-T-L-E.com. And her book is called Fully Connected, How Great Leaders Prioritise Themselves, Reclaim Energy and Find Joy. Cheryl, all the places we can connect with WNA? Yes, like Mel, we do our best to be on social media and so you'll find us there and you'll also find us at womensnetwork.com.au. Well, now we know about the importance of looking after our physical selves, but what about our mental health? Next time on WNA Trailblazers. We have people who are taking time off because the pressures are unrealistic. You know, I just think the only reason that we have made those changes that we have to our sourcing and sustainability is because there were a lot of voices that forced through that change. So companies took it on board and said, yep, this is what we're doing. And it brings me an enormous amount of satisfaction and joy to see so much changing on that front. But it's on the other side, heartbreaking to see the expense of the people. Mind Your Fashion founder Jude Kingston talks to Cheryl about the need to make sure we're looking after ourselves and each other to support good mental health. Women's Network Australia Trailblazers, amplifying the stories of women in business. Follow us from this podcasting app and be the first to hear new episodes. What's your story? We'd love to hear it. Or if you know someone who'd make a great guest in a future episode of WNA Trailblazers, drop us a line on the Contact Us page at womensnetwork.com.au. Thinking about making your own podcast? Welcome Change Media would love to help. Visit welcomechangemedia.com.au. WNA Trailblazers is a Welcome Change Media production.